and welcome to episode 78 of Penny Red. My name is Daniel Hodges, writer and designer of Victoria and Faith, and uh, your host. Tonight, I'm extremely lucky to have Adam Coble in the Inside the Role Players studio. He is going to introduce himself, though, because he's got a line of credits longer than his arm, I'm sure, and uh, far, no, well, maybe not more interesting. He's got a very interesting arm tattoos, but in any case, Adam, how's it going? I am doing well, thank you. Uh, yes, my name is Adam Coble. Um, my list of credentials is not so long, or if it is, my arms are very short. Um, I'm, I'm sort of most commonly, I guess, known uh, as half of the team that developed uh, Dungeon World. Um, and uh, yeah, I've done, I've done some, some smaller stuff. I did some work for, uh, for White Wolf for Onyx Path uh, recently. But I, mean, that, uh, I think dungeon, it's hard to go past Dungeon World as a, as a, um, which is that your first published work? Like, yeah. I mean, I know you, you contributed on Onyx Path, but like if you were going to like hang your hat on anything, that'd be, uh, that'd be the one. Yeah. Excellent. Well, uh, You've talked a lot about Dungeon World. I'm sure people would like to uh, hear some questions, but I'm in the um, position of not having actually read Dungeon World, so I'm uh, so I'm not going to be able to ask any good questions, or at least any questions I ask, you're going to go like, "That's that's great." Yes. Well, here's my answer to that one that everybody's heard a million times. So let's uh, let's get to know a little bit about you first, and then maybe I'll uh, stray off the uh, off the well trodden path into some uh, some other stuff. Then anyway, so how long have you been a role player, Adam? Uh, I have been playing role playing games since I was. Uh, eight or nine, I guess. So, you know, well on 20 years now. Um, yeah, I, uh, I inherited a, a milk crate, a plastic milk crate full of advanced Dungeons and Dragons books from my uncle uh, when he, uh, he moved. Yeah, that and, uh, and some heavy metal magazines and, and away I go. Right, right. Yeah, heavy metal, that's a, that's a blast of the past for me. I used to live with a, um, uh, a guy uh, who was right into uh, heavy metal and spent quite a bit of our time, this was in the early to mid-90s, sort of riding around on our mopeds, going to various stores to try and find back issues of uh, of it. It was quite a, kind of a risque, but um, kind of a risque magazine in, in ways. So I guess as an eight or nine-year-old, that must have been quite interesting. <laughs> yeah, yeah, not not really appropriate material for like an 11-year-old, but... No, right, yeah. Thinking of Den, particularly... <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it, it it explains some things, you know. You give, you give, you give, <laughs> I don't yeah. think I want sex education from uh, Dean Strip. There you go. Yeah, um, needless to say, as an adult, I was surprised there were not more robots involved in the. <laughs> like, wait, oh, is, there, is there a robot in the? <laughs> yeah, I'm just waiting for the robots, but still, still waiting, honestly. <laughs> well, maybe one day when you're uh, <laughs> when you're hung like a donkey, you'll. <laughs> <laughs> Well, maybe you are already. I don't want to. Uh, anyway, uh, so uh, so did, so you got started with uh, with those books, and who did you actually play with? Um, I have I've role played with uh, my my younger brother uh, since he was about that age. So I had some time to kind of figure it out myself. But when he was around ten or so, we started playing, um, and he's been a fixture at the at the gaming table for me my whole life, uh, more or less. Um, I have a tendency to to convert my non gamer friends into gamers. Uh, it's it's only a matter of time, you know. I start hanging out with people that I'm like, "Hey, you guys play Dungeons and Dragons?" <laughs> that's right. Yeah, yeah. That's that's uh, for well, my my history is a little bit different to that because I got into Dungeons and Dragons and I could not, for the love of me, get my uh, my younger brother to play. <laughs> I can't help feeling that mostly it was just because it seemed like something that I wanted from him, and he wasn't prepared to uh, have right. any of that. So yeah, <laughs> so I never actually played. A, I never swung a sword at the same table as my brother. But it's great that you've. Uh, Great, you guys have, have got that. And yeah. do you still play together today? 
He and I have diverged a little bit in, in our nerdy interests. He's really into uh, miniatures uh, wargaming. Um, right. He's he's super into War Machine and stuff, and so that's kind of his his jam. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously, I've, I've been doing the, the RPG thing, but there is some crossover occasionally, you know, when he's in town. Right. Do you do what? Um, uh, well, first of all, do you like miniatures gaming yourself? You know, I, I, I like the painting part of, of minis. Right. It's so time intensive and time is just not as an adult uh, thing that really I have anymore. I wish that I'd gotten into it when I was younger, you know, when it was like, just like surplus of free time. But um, I I think I appreciate it as it's like jazz. I appreciate it as an art form, even though I have no real interest in it. (laughs) Do you, um, have you ever watched the uh, British show called the fast show? I have not. No, you you should check that out. There's an awesome character on there called nice. Who's always talking about jazz and this, dramatic and pretentious fashion which he always ends with <laughs> nice so you so there's a top tip for anybody with a spare moment on youtube at your disposal check up the fast show jazz nice and you'll uh, guaranteed to have a few a few laughs um so just talking about miniatures though do you um how do you feel about miniatures in games because I'm, I'm on record as being um like I, I like miniatures games and i like role-playing games but as soon as a role-playing they soon as they start breaking up miniatures and putting it into a role-playing game i'm like whoa i'm suddenly not interested at all it just see it feels like a slog to me how do you how are you on that front i think as a visualization tool in in certain tactically oriented games they can be yep. really useful but sure. There's there's a line, right? Like, and I think there's some games like you look at um, uh, Warhammer Fantasy, the the most recent edition. Some games that try to exist in that space between a miniatures board game and a role playing game, and with varying degrees of success. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I'm I'm a big fan of of uh, fourth edition D and D and the the board games that came out of it. Sure. But I feel like those games are good for the same reason that. Your XCOM or Final Fantasy Tactics is good. Like it's it's right. just a tabletop representation of that stuff. Right. So it, I mean, it, it really depends, obviously, on the game. I think there's some space for it, but it depends on the kind of uh, the kind of experience you want. Yeah, yeah, and the, yeah, for sure. To each their own, Adam. Um, mm-hmm. So 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 uh, you started off with Dungeons and Dragons, um, and then what did you play after that? Uh, I think that we, we played, I, I had all my kind of high school friends were playing Dungeons and Dragons, and I think at some point someone stumbled on uh, a copy of GURPS, which, what? you know, in that, that early era of, of you know, learning to play role-playing games, striving for realism is a big deal. So we were like, oh yeah, you know, a game what? has all this math, and like we got to, you know, really get into making yeah. the systems work. So we were really into that for a little bit, and then went the exact opposite way, you know, started playing vampire and you know, white wolf and thinking that you know we were better than you know our, our dungeons right. and dragons playing previous right. incarnations yes right yeah now yeah. yeah and I, I mean i feel like that's a pretty common gamer narrative to be like D D, yes. something different throw it all out of the window and play white wolf games yes um and uh yeah i think i think that was kind of the that was kind of our jam for a good while until like early two thousands, and I got a copy of uh, Dogs in the Vineyard and Burning right. Wheel, like in the same week. Right, um, right. And uh, yeah, and this was kind of, I guess, near the sort of end of the the Forge's big period right. of gloriousness. So I kind of missed all that. Yes. But you know, because of sites like Story Games and mm. uh, you know, and that kind of stuff, I I, you know, I got into all these little games, and it, it ended up being less about you know, let's play. 25 sessions of the same thing and we're like here's 25 games let's do them each for two weeks and that right. that takes up a lot of time yeah right sure so um 
when it came to White Wolf, did you play the whole sort of pantheon of games or did you stick to one particular um, I think we, we followed the scale of pretentiousness through the White Wolf games. Oh, you know, I we, can't wait to hear this. How does the scale go? Well, you, we started with Werewolf because it was the most like D&D. Yes. Just killing stuff and, and being awesome. And then we moved to Vampire. Right. All about the, the story. And then we, we ascended to Mage. Nice. was the, the real highbrow stuff. And then... Once we kind of wrung all of the, the stuff we could out of Mage, we started playing Wraith, which, of course, as everyone knows, is the most pretentious of the White Wolf games. But the, but the best, I'm, I'm fascinated now you've brought up Wraith, because, I mean, again, I'm on record as, as loving Wraith a lot. Um, mm-hmm. And I interviewed um, Sam Chupp, who I think is episode 65, and we talked about uh, Wraith and about those early sort of days of, um, of White Wolf, about how, you know, like he was part of the design team and, and he found himself in the summertime in a... In a and a super hot warehouse actually packing boxes full of books and stuff. I'm thinking, this isn't really role-playing designing. I'm, I'm yeah. sort of like the cog in a, in a machine. And I'm sure that was all part of the experience. But, yeah, so I, I'm, I'm a, big fan of, uh, a big fan of Mage the Ascension, um, but also of Wraith. And I've talked about Wraith uh, a lot, but I'm going to delve in again because I've yet to find anybody that sort of really played it through. But I'm going to throw something out there, and then you can, you can tell me what you think. Um, I loved Wraith for the Shadow. But I think the shadow was ahead of its time. People weren't ready for that aspect of role playing. What do you think? Well, it looks like you're cutting out. Which which piece of my diatribe did you did you did you lose? Um, the mi- the middle part between why you like Wraith and then asking me which part I missed. Ah, <laughs> uh, that would be really complicated to uh, to answer. Yeah, but what I say, I really like Wraith. The thing I really like about it is the shadow. But my feeling is that at the time, people weren't really ready for that aspect of role playing, which is now very popular. Yeah, I I think that it it did some really revolutionary stuff, which is why the people that like it, my, myself included, really like it. Uh, and the people that don't understand it or, or didn't like that mechanism really don't like it because if you if you look at race, that's really the only standout thing. Everything else about yeah, it, yeah, 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 pretty much White Wolf kind of standard stuff. But the yeah, yeah the shadow, the shadow player, all that stuff was yeah. really interesting and, and pretty ahead of its time. And I think that if the ecosystem of game design at the time when Wraith came out was more like it is now, yeah. that mechanism could have stood on its own as the core of a, a really yeah. significant game, but because it was a great mechanism attached to kind of a more mass market type of game. I mean, obviously, yes. White Wolf being big in the grand scheme of things, but, mm. uh, you know, I, I think it, it made it hard for it to survive. It became a hindrance rather than a... Uh, right, right, yeah, because I could never get people to play, because this idea of, wait, what? Somebody's going to play my character and they're going to try and fuck with me? That sounds like a bad yeah. idea. I don't want that at all. I'm like, no, but wait, it's it's going to be really cool because it's going to, you know, no. Yeah. <laughs> about no. So, yeah, so that was a real, uh, that was, that's my enduring um, sort of regret and role playing, I guess, is that I never got a really good uh, Wraith game going. I, I ran a lot of uh, Mage the Ascension and I, apart from changing, I pretty well dug into everything. So there are aspects of all the games involved in, uh, in all of it, but anything going on with the shadow, of course, there's no way to sort of show that on screen, if you like. So that, that's sort of an enduring um, disappointment, really, I guess. I, I think it's really interesting. It's really interesting with these White Wolf games because they're, um, they're, in, they're in a funny place where it's the intellectual property that's the real value to them. Like people remember, like you, you see all the time people starting up, uh, you know, mage games using Cortex or mage games with fate. Mm. Yes. Vampire or Apocalypse World, and 
the the IP is really strong. People love that stuff. They remember the clans. They remember the characters that they played, and and all of that stuff really sticks. But the mechanisms have kind of fallen by the wayside, and it's like, in a lot of ways, that that general sentiment is kind of like an inverse OSR, right? And that the OSR is all about the mechanisms and not so much the the stuff attached to them. Yes. So it's it's kind of interesting to see. The, those games make uh, sort of thematic uh, resurgence. Uh, yes. like, um, like Undying is a really cool example where uh, you know they take all of the strengths of, uh, of the Apocalypse World engine and apply it to that kind of vampire uh, frame. Oh and really, like I, I suspect that most people playing Undying are playing Vampire or the Masquerade in their head yes. with this, this other sort of rule set. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, uh, I, I like Wraith... Uh, the game the, the best um, well uh, the, I found it the most interesting I, like, I played the most mage and I really love it but my favourite supplement um, from uh, White Wolf and the one that really captured my imagination still has captured my imagination today is uh, Project Twilight I'm not sure if you're familiar with that mm-hmm. one yeah yeah I, I think there's there's a ton of really great material there but I mean to be perfectly honest like the the mechanism the system the only to me the only White Wolf game that the mechanism really supported the theme was uh, aberrant, right? Because functionally, most White Wolf games, ri- as written with the mechanisms in play, uh, are kind of superhero games, right? Like yeah, your right, right, superheroes yeah. or your werewolf superheroes. Yeah. But, you know, so taking that that stuff, uh, all of the, the setting material and stuff, and, and kind of implanting it thematically into other systems, I think is a really great idea. And every time someone posts something like that, I'm, I'm really excited to check it out. Um, and that's uh, sort of an attempt at a ham-fisted segue to try to get you to talk a little bit about, um, uh, I'm going to say it wrong, Dark Stars Rise. Did I get it Dark right? Dark Stars Rise. Yeah, yeah. I remember the name of something. <laughs> You're close. Yeah, so... Um, oh, close only? <laughs> Black Stars Rise. Uh, oh, Black Stars So close. <laughs> so close. It's a working title. We might still change it. Um, sure, sure. It's, yeah, it's a game in development. Uh, it's going to be probably fingers crossed that we finish it um the next sort of sage gobold uh productions game um and really it's uh, you know sage's baby it's it's a game that he started working on kind of as a reaction to uh to tremulous uh coming out tremulous being the um call of cthulhu uh, apocalypse world hack uh that came out a while ago shortly after dungeon world did um so tremulous came out and sage and i had a bunch of conversations about it and how kind of horror works in the apocalypse system and so he, he put together some notes, and I've been giving him feedback, and we've been working on building this kind of... We've, we've described it, the kind of elevator pitch is you play an episode of X-Files in which you're in a town and something weird is going on, and Mulder and Scully just never show up. Yes, so it's right, up to you to kind of deal with this stuff. And, and right. it, it plays a little bit more with the idea of um, fictional positioning as a, as a point in the game. Um, the rules are considerably less dice related than they are in even base apocalypse world there's a lot less set of dice rolling yeah. um and there's there's some interesting stuff there about like how we're doing um like binary moves so the way your moves work depending on what condition you're in uh, yes yeah yeah it's in it's in alpha right now we've got some some really good playtest feedback from it um right yeah and it, you know it, i mean it turns out and you make a game that ends up being incredibly popular people want to try whatever weird crap you put out with next so it's kind of nice Oh yeah, I think you're selling yourself shortly. I mean, you <laughs> just a little. It's a nicely Canadianly understated there, Adam. Well played, yeah. Well, thank you. <laughs> just did a thing, and people liked it, so I did another thing, and whoa, people like that as well. Amazing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> 
So what's your favorite book or uh, supplement? Um, and it's not necessarily something that you currently play, um, but just something that's sort of an, sort of an, uh, like your, your macaroni and cheese, if you like, in role-playing. I feel like it, it changes uh, pretty regularly. Uh, you know, I've got staples that I, I'll always go back to, games like Burning Wheel. I, I would never get tired of Burning Wheel. Um, I think a lot of the games that I find to be my favorite, a lot of the, the books I like the most, are ones I never get a chance to play. Um, yeah. Like, uh, I think, like, Free Market, for example. Like, I, I love that game to death, but I've only ever played it twice because the, the buy-in is not... Uh, it's it's not small. There's a lot of, of kind of effort that goes into explaining just how the game works before you yeah. get it. Um, but you know that's that's sort of the the great thing about the medium, right? Is that because we're making games that are also books, so many of them are worth having just to to absorb on their own. Right. Sure. But uh, yeah, I mean, <laughs> my gaming sort of meat and potatoes will always be stuff like um, like Burning Wheel, uh, Basic D and D. Um, games that I know I can get people together and play them and, and right. enjoy. Them. You know, there's mileage there. Right. I feel like there should be like a free market support group because I think you're the third person that's come on and it says, I love free market, but I never get a chance to play it. So, I mm. mean, there's there's a couple. I think uh, Sean Hayworth definitely, who is fairly regularly um, on here. Um, mm -hmm. I think... Um, uh, Jen Dixon, I think episode 17 as well. Uh, there's, there have been three guests now that have said they love to play Free Market and haven't <laughs> had a chance. So free, free maybe, market uh, is... maybe you should hook up with those guys and get a G-plus game going. But yeah. um, just going back to um, Black Stars Rise. Yeah. Got it. Yes. Um, <laughs> do you anticipate that being a sort of standalone one-shot type thing, or do you imagine it being um, something that would lead to a longer arc, or is that... Um, something that the person playing it will make a decision on themselves. I feel I feel like with uh, with any horror game, uh, the most you can really wring out of it is you know four or five or six sessions, depending on the pace and length of the session and everything. Because the the sort of sense of of horror, especially in a game where you're supposed to be playing mundane characters, you know, being surrounded by terrible forces, that mundanity fades away after time, you know, it's it's like the the first level D and D party is only gonna be scared of the ogre once, right? The next time you fight an ogre, you're like, oh it's just an ogre. Right, right. Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. So I think it's a limitation of, of not necessarily of Black Stars Rise inherently, but of just the horror genre in, in role yes. playing. Um, yeah. because no, it, it's constantly it, chasing that as a it's it's hard to get it's just it's hard to get that um that tension to begin with you know even yes. even with a, a short game so to maintain it over a, a long period would be tricky but then I mean people are gonna play the game the way they want to play it so if if people end up doing like longer campaign games of it that's the kind of thing that as designers I would be really interested in hearing feedback about sure that um that's something I sort of chased for the longest time um when I was when I was younger when I was playing Dungeons and Dragons like twenty years ago now um. And that was this idea of trying, to, instead of, oh dear, 30 years ago, how terrible, um, <laughs> uh, of trying to get, um, like, not, I, I would, we'd do great pains to never to call a monster, there's an ogre in this mm -hmm. room, I would say, there's a large humanoid creature with purple eyes and a thing, and just right. to try and evoke that sense of, you know, like, this is something new that we've never encountered before, and I, and I, and I tried so hard to make it like that, but, you know... <sighs> I mean, it, yeah, it, yeah, it's hard. It's, it's very difficult to maintain that aspect of the game. I mean, Dungeons and Dragons, 
um, exceeds in, in many other areas, but that's that's probably not not one of them. Like this idea of trying to enforce this idea of wow, this is a really amazing and fantastical environment. You know, it becomes a, and in some respects, I guess it becomes more of a tactical environment. But the the thing the thing that I think is really um, yeah, scary or horrifying about the idea of, of being an adventurer in a dungeon and stuff, it's it's never the the you know the marauding orcs or the, the skeletons stuff because you're equipped. You you know how to fight those. Your character is about dealing with that kind of moral danger. Yes. It, it's all the other crap. It's like being in a tiny enclosed space underground and your light is going out. It's like yeah, running yeah. food. It's like starving to death alone. Yes. several hundreds of meters underground. Like, right, right. That's, that's the stuff that really appeals to me, which is why um, I, I think Torchbearer is so fantastic. I was going to say, I, I, I can see where you're hitting the yeah, Torchbearer. That's, that's what Torchbearer is about. It's about, you know, breaking your leg and being afraid that you can't make it back to the surface. Like, mm -hmm. it's claustrophobic in a way that I, I don't think has ever really been captured properly. In no, that. that's right. Yeah, that's definitely, um, I mean, from what little I know about, that's definitely part of it. Like, I think that mm -hmm. a lot of, well, maybe not a lot of people, but I have heard people dismiss it as kind of like, I don't care about my torches running out and stuff. I don't really want to number crunch all my, my resources. But the purpose is not to make you number crunch your resources. It's to make those things a, an integral part of the, of the struggle, right? And that's yeah. and like you say, it hasn't been captured before. Yeah. Well, and that's, that's the thing, right? It's like people... Torchbearer addresses it directly, and, and various iterations of Dungeons & Dragons have kind of talked around it. But, you know, it's, it's the idea that adventurers aren't big deal heroes necessarily they're just really desperate people who need money and, and yeah. go into these terrifying places they're doing the worst job imaginable and it's about that that tension right is about and, and this is this is true of really any dungeon crawl i think is that do you press on do you, do you try and just go for one more room mm. or do you cut your losses and go home and try and and survive right right that's the kind of thing that I really like about that particular brand. Like, I think there's room in in D and D and in that kind of like fantasy adventure game. Obviously, Dungeon World I think does this really well. There's room for that kind of epic, exciting action movie kind yeah, of play. Um, but I think that it, it's given value by looking at its inverse, looking at characters who yeah, are yeah. kind of shitty and are starving and just doing this because that's all there is left. Right, right, for sure. Yeah. Okay, so if you could cause one game or supplement to cease to exist, what would it be? And this is not. Uh, to sort of slam a game or something, but uh, I'll do the quick outline. My one is uh, my one is Traveller because it's the first role playing game that I played, and I was playing with my uh, my friend's brother, and and interestingly, um, uh, and so he said, no, just you know, when you're playing with older kids, they're kind of like they're playing it for you, right? But you're kind of like, okay, okay, and just to stay in character development one more time. Oh, I'm sorry, your character has died, so. So that was just like, ah, oh, this is terrible. This whole idea is horrible. And interestingly, the other day, just the other day, I saw that there's a T-shirt now with a traveler sort of like motif, which says, you haven't lived until you've died in character creation. Yeah, yeah, it's true. That's I think that in the in the grand scheme of, of role-playing history, that's how travel will be remembered, as mm. the game where you die before you get to play. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. That was my first role-playing game too, so I'm surprised that I that I then came back to it. But uh, something about it must have captured my imagination. So is there anything that for some random or hilarious reason you never want to have association with again? I feel like, I mean, there's lots of, I've played lots of terrible role-playing games. Like really, sure. just god-awful games with terrible people and not had any fun. <laughs> like, I feel like even even the crappiest game, even the game that I hate the most... Which is probably Rifts, but even even Rift has its place in the in the grand scheme of, sure. of role playing. Like even bad games teach people how not to make games. 
Yeah, yeah, for sure. The only kind of game that that shouldn't exist, the only supplement or book that shouldn't exist, is is one that's harmful, like socially, like it's like badly researched or is just sexist or like that kind of stuff doesn't have any place in in role playing anymore. And I think we're we're old enough as a hobby that like we can't discount it. That like, oh well, you know, you can't expect them to do their research because they're just you know a role playing game designer. No, right, right. We're kind of past that. So that's the kind of game that I would like to see just kind of never exist. Uh, and oh, I'm yeah, sure. for sure. Yeah, I mean, there are, plenty of, there are plenty of games out there that you can investigate along those lines. But um, yeah. how do you feel about um, human-occupied landfill? Because <laughs> I feel like that's the role-playing version of Cards Against Humanity. Yeah, I, I, I like Hole. I think it's pretty funny. Um, yeah. Logan Bonner has a game that's sort of semi-Hole-inspired uh, called Refuge and Audacity. And if you've never played it, it's it's. I've awful. not played. I've heard of it. Yeah, it's so good. We we play it at Go Play Northwest every year, just kind of as the as the end of the con. Everyone's too tired to concentrate. Right, right. Big mess, and it's it's fantastic, and it's inspired by that kind of world of Cinnabar, human uh, right. landfill, like random ridiculousness. And I, I think those kinds of games have they have their place for sure. Yeah, for sure. Okay, so um, you mentioned a few um, a few bad experiences and stuff, and horrible people, and, and I wonder if and, and uh, if you have any interesting stories from cons because being a being, I mean, I'm don't get this quite. I mean, I'm not in the same league, I guess, in terms of um, popularity or, or people sort of requiring things of me or even um, expecting um, me to sort of show up to conventions and so forth. But for yourself, I imagine that part of it is is playing games at conventions to to promote Dungeon World, which I mean, can be can be great fun, but I imagine that then you've got because you're in an interesting situation where you're not just a GM, just like you know what, you're a dick. I'm just going to ignore you. Kind of like these are all potential customers. I'm go- I'm trying to you know juggle all these different personalities at the table, and I really have to try and keep everybody happy. How do you sort of feel about that? And do you have any interesting uh, stories along those lines? I I feel like the only the only really interesting thing about my general experience with playing games at cons is that it it's never been bad. Like I've never had a game. And, and I, I like, I, I play con games pretty hard. Like I don't do two hour slots. I do four hour slots and I'll do four of them in a day and just like blast it out. But I, I don't know. I'm a, I'm a pretty good energy vampire. So when people come to the table excited to play, I'm just like, yes, feed me your power. (laughs) Right. Yeah. 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 And I can just go on that. Uh, And, you know, fingers crossed that's how it stays, but I've, I've never really had an experience where I came out feeling just like, man, I wish that I had not done that. I would like my, my time back. Right. Right. Well, that's great. Yeah. yeah, I I haven't had any, um, that I've, when I've been running Victoria or faith for people, I haven't had any of those experiences, but I have had experience where I've been in games where there've been other people at the table. I'm kind of like, and I just, I don't, you're being horrible to everybody else at this table. You're being horrible to you. I mean, there's one particular incident where there was a, a fella along and he brought his wife and his daughter to the table and instead of sort of letting them play, mm. um, he sort of ran their characters and told them what they're doing was dumb and, and all that. So it was really kind of a horrible, oppressive sort of environment, at least that I found um, while I was there. And I, yeah, it was, it was horrible. I eventually tried to get the police to arrest him and he got thrown in jail for half an hour or so of, of game time, which was, which is a nice respite for everybody else. But, um, but yeah, I mean that's that sort of thing. I guess happens time to time. Like I, I feel like because like at a at a game where you're playing with people you know or friends yes. of friends. Oh or, yeah, for sure. You know you can have these conversations about 
you know, what, what do we, what do we want to get out of the game? Yeah. Uh, you know, what kinds of things are we, are we looking to, to get out of this experience? But at a con game, nine times out of 10, it's just like you hit the table running, you got to get going. And then I feel like because the, in GM games that have a GM anyway, I feel like because they're already seen as the kind of authoritative role at the table, right. all that social engineering just falls on them. Yes. And so, so as the GM now, you're, you're juggling the game and you're juggling the players and trying to get everyone to behave themselves if that becomes an issue. And it, it can be really, really hard, for sure. Um, and I mean, I think that you know, the, the best way to navigate around that is to try and, and slow it down, is like hit the table and say, look, we're, we're going to talk a little bit about, you know, why is everybody here? What games have you been playing? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, take that time before you do character creation. And like, yeah. it'll, it'll pay out. In, in the long run, for sure. Yeah, yeah, that's good advice. Yeah, Get, maybe because some people may have come just from one game where they've had a, a bad experience or it wasn't yeah. quite what they wanted it to be, and they're just kind of carrying all that stuff with them just to give them a chance to maybe vent some of that that stuff. Is uh, yeah, I think yeah, sort of important. And, and I think that, that a lot of people like there's a lot of pressure to to be a GM at a at a con game, right? You're you're yeah. depending on the group and depending on your experience, you're you're going to feel like you need to entertain some people for the next four hours, and that's yeah. like that's a lot of work. Uh, it can be a break for the GM too to just be like, "Hey, like you guys, tell me about you know what you're here for," and you can right. kind of relax and get to know them, and then right. the game part. Yeah, it's good advice. Good advice. So, is there anything coming out that you're particularly looking forward to? Adam is currently frozen. I'm hoping he comes back. There's been yeah. oh, here he is. <laughs> <laughs> Google and Google enforced temporary time off. It's right. Yeah, it's a TV timeout. Um, did you did, uh, did you catch the question? Then my question was: um, Is there anything coming out you're particularly looking forward to? Oh man, I feel like uh, there isn't anything that hasn't been released at all. Um, but because I'm in Canada, everybody else is getting all of this stuff that I've already paid for on Kickstarter, and I'm just like waiting for my. Yeah, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so I've got I've got a whole bunch of stuff coming to me that I'm I'm excited for. But I've had PDFs of of everything for a while. Um, right. I think it's a bit of a it's a bit of a quiet period. Um, at least for the the games that um, that I'm looking forward to. Though actually, now that I think about it, there is a game that I didn't even know existed until Gen Con. Um, it's a hack, I guess, or a supplement for Dungeon Crawl Classics called Transylvanian Adventures, and it's it takes the DCC like all of the crazy tables and and random rules and stuff, and applies them to a like. 1890s uh, Transylvania, and you play like hammer horror protagonist, basically, and it's nice. so awesome. I've got the playtest version of it right now. I got it from uh, from Scott Mathis, and right. I want that game to come out so bad because my yeah, group yeah. eating it up. It so that. that is that is on my list uh, as soon as I see it. They said, fingers crossed, they said October, so Halloween's yeah. coming. That's right. Yeah, sounds perfect. So, yeah. if you could only be a player or a GM, which would you choose? Like, you have to be one or the other, and you can't do the other one ever again. I, I don't even remember what it's like to play role-playing games, so right. uh, I, I, it's not an informed choice anymore. Right. I, um, I, I think, I mean, just, just looking at, like, Big Bad Con, um, I think that of all the games that I played, only the, the, the one, the LARP that I did, was one where I played. Everything else I was either facilitating or, or GMing. Right. Uh, which I think is in part that, that I, I kind of like. It, I want to play the games I want to play, right? And so if I want to play Torchbearer, I want to play Dungeon World, nine times out of ten with the people that I have uh, at home, I'm going to be the one saying, okay, we're going to play this, I'm going to run it, and, and that's how it goes. So I just don't have a lot of experience uh, playing games, I guess. Right. So, I, I mean, 
GM, I suppose, because it's a role I'm comfortable with. But. Right, right. And uh, so, so that's really, um, like you say, you don't really have the, the choice anymore. But has that always been the way it is? Like you've always wanted to, uh, you've always wanted to, to tell the stories. Because I'm, I'm curious to, to know um, whether there's a relation. I mean, um, there's some kind of relationship there, but whether you're drawn to being creative. Like the more creative people are, the ones that are the the GMs, and are the one ones most likely to put together a game of their own. Do you think there's anything in that? I think. There's there's a relation, but I don't know necessarily that it exists before uh, gameplay or experience with games happen. I think that people who GM a lot tend to be the ones that become the most familiar with the rules, and the more right. familiar you become with a rule set, the more you want to play with it. The more right. you play with it, the more you realize that you can make your own, and then you design a game, and that's how that correlation plays out, I think. Right. Um, you know, on the, on the other hand, I think that GMing, uh, especially more traditional games, tends to attract people who uh, either have the resources, you know, they, they can afford the books. Um, oh, yeah, that, yeah, that's part of it too, yeah, you're right. Yeah, or, or the, they're the ones that have the time to, to put into GMing, you know, like, right. I, I remember uh, GMing 4th uh, Edition D&D when it first came out, and... Like, it's a lot of work for the GM in between sessions. Um, right. so I think that's that's a, a relation, too. Like, just sometimes yeah. it's the person with enough time uh, can do it. And there's, there's an element of the people who like to be in control, I think, are the ones that end up Yeah. Doing. And I'm, I'm certainly guilty of a little of that myself. So. <laughs> but I think that that's important, too, because oftentimes um, it's, like, I, I find sometimes when I'm when I'm being a player, which, which like yourself, is, is not as often as perhaps it once was, um, that... Uh, you kind of like the story should go here. Here's the beat. This is the story. This is the right. No, you're, you're going past it. You've missed that. That's that. Oh, you know. And in your head, you can see all the stuff, but you can't. You know, there's a there's a sort of a like a line there, right? Where you where you can't sort of push over. And sometimes sometimes that can be frustrating. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I, I would really love to have more opportunity to play uh, Dungeon World because uh, right. I'm not GMing it because the people I'm playing with haven't played it before and stuff. But I love I love playing it because. I get to see other people run the game in ways that are are not at all as I envisioned. Sometimes, sometimes that's really awesome, and sometimes it's like they're doing it completely wrong. <laughs> You're doing it wrong. You're both wrong. They're both they're both such awesome experiences. Like I, I love it. I love, and I'm thankfully I'm I'm I've got the ability to just keep my mouth shut and not be like actually the rule is this and <laughs> well you'd be great at the table yeah maybe I'll just take your dice away from me and I'll I'm sorry you're not allowed to play this yeah, game anymore no dungeon world for two months while you learn. pass me the dungeon master screen yeah. I'll but, take it from you no, it's, it's fantastic like people will will and this this is why like one of my favorite things about how popular dungeon world has gotten is engaging with uh, the fans, especially fans who are not like big story game people already. Like my favorite Dungeon World fans are the ones that only ever played Pathfinder before. They're just like Pathfinder forever, and then they play Dungeon World and they're like, "Oh my god, what is this craziness?" Yeah, right. Those, those are the ones that I like watching because it's amazing how people interpret this stuff sight unseen. You know, you hear. Yes. Um, you hear lots of stories about brand new role players who play Fiasco and take to it like like ducks to water because they right. don't have all this baggage built up. Yes, yeah, yeah. With with Dungeon World, the interesting thing is what people do with that baggage when they realize they don't need it, right? Where it's like, well, yes. where where is my language list on my character sheet? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and someone says to them, "I don't know what languages do you speak," and their eyes just light up. They're like, "Yeah, so yeah." 
this is amazing. Like that, I love. That's my favorite experience. I love that stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's kind of like um, uh, the the only analogy because we've we've discussed the sort of idea before with uh, particularly with regards to whether somebody who's never played before playing Fiasco versus somebody who's role played before coming to Fiasco. It's actually probably easier for somebody who's never played before yeah. to play it than it is for somebody who has played played before. And um. And and the you know and what we're talking about there with with dungeon worlds you know well you know what what languages do you speak right like that's almost like um, where the that's where the real world at least for me anyway that's where the real world um, actually meets the fantastical of, of yeah. role playing because if you're at a if you're at a, um, a dinner or something like that and there's something that you really like to eat but there are twenty other people there. You don't just stuff all the cream cakes in, right? You kind of like there's a social contract here where everybody gets a chance to have the cream cakes, right? So you saying to somebody like, well, what can you do? Then people start going, well, okay, so, um, well, he's going to want to do that, and maybe she's going to want to do that, and so I'm going to try and sort of fit somewhere in between it, and it brings that element um, to to gaming, and then people realise how fun that is, right? To actually um, create some narrative that makes things uncomfortable for them or create some sort of narrative that makes things more complicated or, or try and colour inside lines that didn't know existed and didn't know could be fun before, right? To actually see yeah. that restrictions are entertaining. Well, I, I remember there was a game of uh, Dungeon World that I was running um, at Gen Con a, a couple of years ago and one of the players was the, the very much like he, he just was playing with us because he couldn't get into this Pathfinder game he wanted to play and there was a spot at the table of games on demand so he was playing with us and they were, the characters were, um, they were, they were talking to a genie. There was this genie that was like chained up by magic and he was speaking a language they didn't understand. And this guy was playing the wizard. And I, I, I said to him, I'm like, well, do you speak genie? And he was, he like kind of looked around, looked at his sheet, of course, looked for, and you know, and I was like, no, no, like, just, I mean, tell, tell me, does your character speak this language? And he's like, yeah, sure. And I was like, okay, how did he, and, and so I think he was trying to, he was testing the water. He was like, yeah, no, I do. Yeah, yeah. And I, I said to him, I was like, okay, well, how, how do you how do you know how to speak genie? And there was a moment where he was like, oh shit, uh, busted. Like he knew he knew it had come up with something. And then so kind of flippantly, he was like, well, I don't know. I was raised by genies. Right, right. You know, trying to kind of again the like the shit eating grin that like, yeah, well, I I'll just make up some bullshit. I was like, no, no, that's great. And we just ran with it. And right, right. Like, I think, like you said, that's that's the giving players that space to. Um, to play around in, especially in regards to their character, yeah. is really is really important. Um, at least for a game like Dungeon World, certainly. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I think in general, I think that a lot of that stuff is filtered back into um, other role playing games as well, where you kind of like where people sort of get that that feeling where you know, like they're, they're looking for the more interesting choice, which are, rather than the best choice for their character, the more interesting choice for the game. And I think that's just that's good for everybody, really. Um, yeah. Yeah. Okay, so what's the best and or most inspiring uh, role-playing film or TV show? It doesn't have to be about role-playing um, or have it in there at all. Like, we're not talking about, like, Mazes and Monster or anything like that, but, you know, like uh, something you've watched and you've went, wow, that's so cool, I want to play a game about that right now, and it sort of stayed with you. Um, I think that I, I had this, this revelation a, a while ago when, when the show started up again. Um, the Boardwalk Empire, it's a, um, a HBO show about uh, prohibition and... and mm -hmm and all of these various power groups and stuff. And I was watching it, and I remember sort of thinking, like, this show is a perfect apocalypse world game. Like, you strip away all of the, the weirdness and the psychic stuff, and you strip away the prohibition and everything, and it's really just, like, people 
with desperate needs to have stuff and to be secure in a world that's hostile to what they're trying to do. Like, and I think that that's like, that's perfect. There's so much, like, if you can look at what uh, a show or a, a movie is, is Alec actually about, like what's actually going on under all the genre stuff. Yes. I think there's a lot of really good uh, TV, especially these days. Um, yes. that role playing. Um, right. Right. Yeah. I think that, I mean, you just take a look at the actresses that are just that, and actors that have gone into doing TV work. Now that they're, they're seeing the value of this, these long arcs, not just like, I mean, they're, they're interconnected stories to get a chance to play out over much longer periods of time. So they've got the, they see that now not as a, as a hindrance, but as actually as a, um, as a, I've lost my word, but it's a good thing, right, for them to have that space to explore a character. Yeah, and I, I think that it's, it's. I mean, all, all pop culture is is of some benefit to role-playing. Role-playing is born out of it. There's, there's nothing in any role-playing game ever made that's brand new and unique to that, to that thing. No, right. the, the venue for, for creating the, the kinds of fiction that we do in role-playing uh, is the unique strength, but all of the other stuff, the material, it comes from from elsewhere. So, like you know, this is this is why in in Dungeon World, all the sidebars, you know, we include various quotes from like rap songs and yes. Ghostbusters, and like they're not about fantasy, but they're they're stories, they're powerful yes. stories, yeah, yeah. in some fashion or another, and you can you can pick up stuff from everywhere, you know. Right, right. And you know, people ask people ask me sometimes, like, you know, what's what what can I do to like prepare for GMing? You know, Dungeon World, and I'm like, I, I don't know, like, listen to your favorite music, make notes about lyrics that you think are cool, um, you know, watch watch TV, go to a movie, like, absorb as much stuff as you can, yeah. because you never really forget it, it all just kind of turns around in the back of your head, and you never know when yeah. you need an NPC, or you need a, a threat yeah. to players, and suddenly it's like, you know, a, an episode of some cartoon you watched six yeah. years ago is, is going to be a thing you can use. Right, right, that's something definitely that I'm, I'm in favor of, and I, and I sort of when people have asked me about that exact same question, I say, you know, if you do lots of research, you'll always use it. Maybe the characters will go in a completely different direction at this than you anticipated them going, but guaranteed whatever you've researched will inform things that you describe later on and will, will come in. So just research and something will, will catch your imagination yeah. and then you'll forget about it. And the next thing you know, the characters will walk smack dab into a situation where that's the perfect little thing. So no, no research is wasted, right? Well, and I, I think too, like the the best, hands down, the best role playing game supplement that's ever come out in in the history of time is Wikipedia. Like, there's, <laughs> there's so much stuff there yeah. that you know, like, there's no shortage of, of both literal research that you can do about a game, yeah. uh, or just random inspiration. Uh, yeah. Getting lost in the Wikipedia hole is great for any. Yeah, game. yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah. Agree entirely. So if you could become a character in a role-playing game, what would it be as in you actually personally became that? You didn't like necessarily get to be a fighter or something, but suddenly Adam Coble found himself in a role-playing game. You know, what role-playing game would that be and, and why? I would not want to be in a role-playing game. No, no, you wouldn't. That, <laughs> things happen to PC. It happened though. Sorry, Adam, it just happened. I would like I would like to be the like the the old innkeeper at the tavern. <laughs> Buxom wife and the six daughters and like right. just just like tapping kegs for for dwarves. That's all I want. I want to be a hobbit. Is what I want. I want to live in a hole and smoke pipe weed and eat food and get fat and be awesome. <laughs> I, I do not want to be a PC. I'm gonna. I'm just gonna <laughs> hold my hands up and no, thank Excellent. you. Excellent. Someone else can take the ring to Mordor. I. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
<laughs> I'll pour you another stout. So what's uh, your role-playing elevator pitch and your go-to sort of example of play? We're role-playing just like in general. If I'm yeah, trying so, to somebody, so somebody says, hi, Adam, what are you doing this evening? And you say, I'm role-playing. And they say, role-playing? What's that? And you say... Uh, well, the the easy route is the follow up is always. Do you know what Dungeons and Dragons is? Yes. And then yes. having to having to follow up on that. Though yes. we were Sage and I were on a plane. I think we were transferring to go to Gen Con, and there was there was this um, this woman on the plane. She was probably like early twenties, and there were some other people from Gen Con on the plane, and we were we were talking about games, and she was like, "Are you guys talking about a video game?" And I was like, "No, we're talking about like role playing games." She's like. Yeah, like World of Warcraft, and I was like, no, like Dungeons and Dragons, and she was like, what's that? Oh right, yeah. I, I explained, and, and she's like, how have I never heard of this? And I was just like, I don't, different cultural reference, I guess. But you know, that's that's the touchstone for everybody, right? Like, have you heard of Dungeons and Dragons before? What, what is it? And explain that. But I think people that are not gamers need to get more credit from people who are gamers because. Right. People pick that stuff up pretty fast. Yeah, 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 um, for sure. Because nobody, there's nobody on earth that has never like played make believe before. Right, you know? exactly. Yeah, you're right. And, you're right. And so usually, you know, usually I'll tell people, and I'm I'm like really enthusiastic about role playing games, especially yes. to people that I want to get involved in them. Right. So right. you know, usually I'll I'll explain it in terms that I think they're gonna like. You know, like if it's someone who. I know is really into video games. I'll use a video game analogy for them. If someone who's not really a gamer, I'll be like, well, I'm getting together with, you know, like a half dozen of my best friends and we're just going to sit around and like make up stories and roll dice and it'll be great. And, you know, yeah, yeah. it goes, it goes back to the pop culture thing too, is that it's so easy to pick uh, a thing that's a reference to the game that you're playing. Right. You know? And you're playing inspectors. You can be like, yeah, have you seen ghostbusters? You like ghostbusters? Who doesn't like ghostbusters? We're doing that. Right, right. You know, so that's that's the we all have this kind of easy route into explaining what yeah. gaming is because it's just like take a story you really like now make up your own version of it. Right, yeah, for sure, yeah. for sure. So, who's your favorite villain and why? My favorite villain, I, I'd be hard pressed to pick one, but my my favorite kind of villain, and if you if anyone has ever played role playing games with me before, they know this already. I'm really into like evil religious figures. I like cults. I like scary popes i like you know like the people doing bad things in the name of god it's why yeah. like paladins are so awesome to me because they're so cool as people yeah. but that's that's my my favorite that's my jam uh you know that's that's the thing like lawful evil for life um you know that's I, that's the thing that i like about like darth vader right is that he's just yeah. like so loyal to this like terrible idea yeah that's bigger than him and so he can justify doing all kinds of evil shit and I love, love that stuff. Uh, that, that's the kind of villain that, that really appeals to me. Right. So what does, I've asked this question before and I've had varying answers. Um, so what does Darth Vader want? I don't think that he knows. I think that, that at some point he gives up his, his, his like right to choose, right? That he's subsumed his will into that of, of the emperor. The emperor is, is just pulling his strings, right? And that's right. why, that's why Luke showing up fucks him up so much. Cause he's just like, Oh wait a second! I'm feeling stuff. What's going on? Right, right. You know, like it's yeah. He's he's totally narrow as a villain. He's the he's the the bludgeon that the emperor uses to mm. mess with the galaxy. So I don't yeah. I don't think Darth Vader gets to want things. I think he's a robot. Okay, well fair enough. So how many role playing books do you own? Oh Jesus, uh, several hundred. Um, 
Yeah. I, I had the, the fortune or misfortune of uh, working in a game store uh, during a period of my life where disposable income was easy to come by. Right. So, <laughs> combine having nothing to pay for aside from cheap rent and a massive discount, I ended up with a pretty decent library of, of nice. games. Um, yeah, it's it's one of the, the two things that I collect. I collect T-shirts and role-playing games, both of which I have far too many of. Right, right. Nice. So what's your definition of an indie game? Um, so indie game is a, a term I don't really have a problem with. Like, I think it's pretty easy to define. I mean, it's an independently produced and owned game, right? Like, did, did the people who made the game publish it? Do they own the rights to it, more or less? Then it's yeah. probably an indie game, right? right? Like, it's not about size. Like, technically, Numenera is an indie game. Monty just made ass tons of money on it. Right, um, right. You know, but you can have small games that aren't indie games because someone told this, you know, game developer, oh, it'd be smarter for you to just sell the game to us and we'll sell it. Because right, right. And that's a terrible thing to do. Game developers, <laughs> don't let that happen to you, ever. <laughs> the top tip from Adam Coble, don't ever do that. Okay, don't, so Don't let a publisher <laughs> screw you. It's a bad scene. Okay, so uh, your final role-playing uh, game before supper. Um, what are you playing? Who are you going to play it with? Oh... Uh, I only had one. I only played one role-playing game one more time. Yeah, I, there, are only, there are only celebrities available to play with, so you can't choose your family or anything like that. I I would play I would play basic Dungeons and Dragons, and I would play it with Biggie Smalls, Old Dirty Bastard, Easy E, <laughs> Tupac, <laughs> and any other number of dead rappers. I would I would collect them around the table, and we would tell the story. <laughs> They would be so grand. <laughs> I'm just, like that's that's my that's my goal in life. If there's a heaven, that's what's waiting for me. Right. Okay. Fair enough. Okay. So, what causes the role playing game to die before the story finishes? Because that's a very common thread for for most role playing games. They often peter out rather than ending yeah. with a punch. Why does that happen? Uh. Well, I think that the 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 frame of the question is is problematic for the first part because i think that if you're starting a game with a defined story in mind unless you're playing a game designed for that uh you're you're already pretty pretty screwed right like mm, yep for sure you know there there are games that are designed like like fiasco you you play the whole thing out there's pacing built into it there's a beginning middle and end that's inherent to the game um, you know, there's there's bigger, longer, more traditional games that do that too, like um, uh, the Wraith successor, uh, Orpheus. The way that game is released, it's it's there's a line like the end of the last supplement is the end of, of the story. You're done when you get there. Um, right. So I think you can play a game like that and and do that. But you know, a game like D and D or, or or Dungeon World, it's you're not you shouldn't be playing it that way necessarily. Right. But within the the confines. Um, I think that it's, it's boredom, right? Is it the same stuff over and over and it stops being exciting? You know, you don't engage with the mechanisms in the same way you used to. That, that new relationship energy, the, the infatuation with the game fades. Yes. And if, if everybody isn't already on board, if you're not bought in by then, then, yes. you know, it, it goes away. And I think, I think that's, pretty, that's pretty natural, right? Because there's, there, there's different games for different groups and not everybody's going to buy in as hard as everybody else. You know? Right, sure. And sometimes so what would be the ideal span? Again, I think it really depends on the game. Um, like I have, I have a preference, uh, and I think this is just born from 
you know, playing games as a teenager, having a surplus of time, playing 12 hour games, you know, every week, same characters for all time. Like, I think that's, that's the sort of classical mold that I, I really appreciate. Um, but it's so, so impossible to do as an adult. Yeah. So I think any game, like for me, any game that I can play to some kind of satisfying completion, whether it's of the story or we all decide, you know, we, we understand the mechanisms and yes. we've learned something, we're going to move on. You know, it, it really varies. And I think games can surprise you. You know, like we, we started playing Dungeon Crawl Classics well over a year now uh, ago and expected, I, I think we expected maybe to play a few sessions and just kind of have a laugh. But, you know, we're, we're on our 70-odd session now and everyone's right. finally, like, fourth level. Um, but, <laughs> You know, and, and it took us by surprise, right? And I have I have this group that just assembled magically of, of like almost a dozen people that show up every week. Right. And I couldn't do that on purpose. There's no way I could manage to get that group together on purpose. So, you know, you, you kind of just have to let a game play out uh, as much as the game will allow. Give it space to breathe. <laughs> you know, and it, it'll vary. You know, some some games last longer. Some games you're done in a, a couple of sessions. Right. You don't have to force it. Okay, here's a couple of here are a few verses for you before we get to the uh, the ultimate the penultimate question. Um, right. Who's the coolest, Boba Fett or Han Solo? Ah oh, man, we'd have to define what coolness is. Uh, um, it's, it's it's a question straight to you, Adam. So you go ahead whenever you, whenever I'm, you're ready. I'm gonna, no I'm, pressure. Gonna, I'm gonna go with Han Solo. I'm gonna say that he's he's my man. Just because? I I think because he has a face and you. <laughs> we can identify with him as a human being. Boba Fett's a yep. pretty cool, like, robot or ninja, but it's not the right. same. Han Solo's a person. Right, okay. But to be fair, <laughs> Sorry about to be fair, that. Lando Calrissian is way cooler than both of them. So. Oh, really? All right. Oh, yeah. And that moustache is pretty tragic. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, Princess Leia or Hermione? <clears throat> uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with Hermione because... While Princess Leia is a badass, Hermione has a, a whole life of badassness ahead of her. Her potential badassness, right? Much higher. We know too much about Leia. Hermione is an unanswered question. Right. Sure. Okay. So here's a here's a question to follow that up, and I've asked this a number a number of people, and I haven't given a satisfactory answer yet. Is uh, Princess Leia actually a princess? Uh it's it's a hereditary title, uh, I think, because her mom was Queen Amidala, that she gets to be a princess. But I don't think that it carries any legislative weight. I think that she's just the daughter of a senator. I don't I don't think it counts for anything. It's just on her. Because Alderaan doesn't even exist, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, that's that's aside. I don't think she's a princess of Alderaan. They don't have like a king. I don't think she's just a princess in general. You know? <clears throat> All right. Like the, my daughter is a princess. <laughs> yeah, it'd be like if you were part of like the Danish royal family, but you were like hanging out in Missouri. You're like you're still a princess. You're just not the princess of Missouri. Right. Okay. <laughs> Fair enough. Okay. Uh, what about Gandalf or Dumbledore? Gandalf, obviously. Gandalf is so much awesomer than Dumbledore, though. Dumbledore has an understated charm. I feel like they would get along really well. <laughs> They'd be bros. <laughs> Okay, um, so I'm going to ask you a question here, and then I'm going to then I'm going to cut you off. Um, fair warning. So, uh, if you had one role-playing related wish, what would it be? That uh, there were several more days in the week that I could dedicate just to playing role-playing games. Ladies and gentlemen, Adam Coble. 
that's it for episode 78 of Penny Red. So until next week, keep talking the walk. <laughs> <laughs>